Ladies, gentlemen, geeks of all ages, you are now entering BJ Shea's Geek Nation. Welcome. Yes, welcome to BJ Shea's Geek Nation. I am the Reverend in Fuego. Across from me is Vicky Barcelona. Hello. Show's namesake, BJ Shea, is on assignment. Ah, he's probably prepping, playing a ton of board games. That's usually what it does. And running the boards is Joey Dees. Hey. Hi. On today's show, Joey, don't go far because we got to talk Halo because there's a new television series happening. Okay, okay. We're going to talk Magic the Gathering with Kamigawa Neon Destiny. I know about my destiny. Ooh, and of course, the Geek Sheet with Vicky B. Vicky, how can people get a hold of us? Get a hold of us via our website, bjgeeknation.com. It's going to be... What? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's going to have our blogs, podcasts, and more. More? Brain was buffering. Yeah, I guess. It took a minute. Uh, but you can also <laughs> find us by searching for BJ Shay's Geek Nation <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, and the Odyssey app, Buffering. If I can remember that, I'm going to use that. Brain was buffering. Don't worry. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> just had a little bit. It's like even better than brain fart. It's just like buffering. And... Yeah, because I'm like... It, it, it's right there. I could see it in my brain. It's just not there yet. Well, you can take a break from your brain because Joe and I, I know we kind of freaked. I don't know if you freaked out about it, Joe, but we did mention to each other that we had seen the new trailer for the Paramount Plus Halo series. I, first off, having played Halo Infinite a lot, especially during the holiday break, it's available on Game Pass, which made it super easy to play. And uh, I, I was blown away with it. Still love playing it. And then seeing the fact that they're making this series got me super excited. I don't know uh, how you felt about it. I was happy to see something more than letters because that was the <laughs> teaser trailer. They were like, hey, we're making a Halo series. See you guys and whenever. Uh, yeah, I actually uh, was very excited to see the trailer. I didn't catch it during the football game. And neither did I. I had to watch it online, which it's available everywhere. And uh, mixed mixed feelings. I don't know. It's It didn't hit me in the Halo nostalgia feeling that I wanted it to feel. Okay. But at the same time... The Covenant looked awesome. The light sword thing. Yes. That's all the one thing was like when it was slicing through the like the wall or the barrier or whatever they had. I'm like, all right, they they at least they understand the mechanics of the Halo universe. Yeah. So I was like, the Halo parts look cool. The storyline, we'll see. Yeah, and I mean at this point we do see that Cortana is in it. Um, which is kind of interesting having played Halo Infinite because uh, through all of the series, Cortana has been a uh, 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 basically the AI at the side of Master Chief and really essentially there to control him. Obviously, that's going to kind of go a little haywire as we go along with it. And if it goes anything along the lines of the storyline of the games, uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've like what got six games now of story to go with. Some Gosh, crazy. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There is definitely a lot at this point. I was originally hoping that they would just stick with the main storyline from the first maybe one to three ish games, but it doesn't look like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, it doesn't look like that. So we'll have to wait and see. But at least the budget's there. I did that looked good, and yeah. the fight scenes look like they'll be good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, as I say, as a sci-fi fan, as much as I love to complain, I will watch pretty much anything <laughs> in the space genre. Uh, you know, I'll start yeah. off at a 5.0 and then we'll work our way <laughs> up or down. <laughs> and um, I saw this article on Comic Book Resources that say that the new Halo TV series will have something for everyone, according to the uh, star Pablo Schreiber. Uh, Schreiber, who plays the role of the series' stoic central 
Hero Master Chief reassured both viewers who have never picked up a controller and the diehard fans who have completed every game on Legendary that the show's cast and crew are working to ensure that everybody enjoys the upcoming Paramount Plus series. During the streaming services presentation for the Television Critics Association, he said, One of the biggest things we have to deal with is the difference in making a video game versus making a TV show, and we're very squarely in the Halo universe. It's a show for people who love the Halo universe, and it's a show for people who are just discovering the Halo universe. And I've said this, especially when we were talking about like the Wheel of Time series. It's hard to translate one thing from a medium to another medium and have it be exactly what everybody wants. Because especially when you go from a book to a series, there's a lot of internal dialogue. And when it comes down to video games, there's a lot of action scenes and usually just a little bit of story to kind of bridge to that. And you've got to figure out that right balance when it comes. And a lot of the times the video game movies just fall really flat when it comes down to all of it. Yeah, this is a tough one to do because Master Chief is on his own in a way for a lot of the game, meaning that the gameplay that you're going yeah. through, there's no players with you or characters with you, so they're going to try to fix that somehow, and they kind of show that in the trailer with him saving some people and him having other chiefs. I don't know if they're Master Chiefs, but they're Chiefs. They're Spartans. Spartans, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're all Spartans, and Master Chief is like the best, and you know, aug- as they even say, it's like augmented to be the best out there, and it's like, what happens when you can't control the big uh, uh, the, 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 your hero and the biggest weapon that you've got out there. Yeah, and there's going to be some political slash you know, military problems, as you were pointing out, that seem like they're going to be pretty prevalent throughout the series. But I'm just hoping that's the subplot. I just want to see him blow things up and go through space. <laughs> just do that. Well, you'll have to wait until March 24th when it does premiere on Paramount+. Plus. But me, myself, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch either way. Now, another thing I know that you're excited for, and it's been a while since I've gotten in deep into the Magic uh, the Gathering uh, worlds and or the different planes and such, and they kind of brought me back, but not in a way that I was expecting. They've been revisiting a lot of the older worlds, and even with like with Innistrad recently with the werewolves and vampire sets, um, it's that horror that I've really liked, and I really loved those sets originally the first, what, two times that I'd already uh, visited it. Uh, One of the sets that kind of a lot of people thought that they would have loved, but it turns out it really wasn't what they wanted, was Kamigawa, which was, gosh, that was a long time ago when we first visited that plane. And a lot of people kind of wanted a uh, a sort of like anime Japanese fun sort of like uh, exact like just. Something that really didn't happen because they really got deep into the lore of uh, the Asian cultures and went with things that people weren't really ex- uh, expecting. Stuff like Oni and uh, uh, the whole spirits and what's going on with that, the Kami and all of that. And people are like, well, I just want, you know, anime chicks with bunny ears. And you're like, well, that's not <laughs> what you're getting. But they decided to still not go with that, but went with a route that I was not expecting at all with Kamigawa Neon Destiny, where they went with the um, almost like traditional, like dystopian cyberpunk future fused with the spiritual um, beginnings that they had with Kamigawa. Cyber ninjas. Dude, cyber ninjas. Like, and they have just kind of kitchen synced this one because they've been throwing a ton of things out there. They do have the original um, aspects of having the spirits and like 
old school dragons and all of these different things going on with that, but mixed with a technology that we haven't necessarily ever really seen in a magic set. Maybe the closest would have been when we we, uh, visited the Artificer's Plane, Mm -hmm. which I can't even remember at this point in time the name of, but I really loved it because it was a little more steampunky than everything else. Um, But with this one... Kaladesh? Yeah, good good call, Kaladesh. Um, With Kamigawa, they're, I mean, like I said, they're going absolutely ape nuts with this. This is a weird set. Not gonna yeah. lie, it's awesome. Don't don't let me uh, no twist the word there, but it it's like you said, like a kitchen sink of abilities in the sense that they've taken you know equipment, uh, Phyrexian mana and corruption, gone down the plane of well, they've got this great technology, but they're also very spiritual, and now it's corrupted. Tamio's back, Jinkataxis is back. Yeah, like seriously, like they brought the Phyrexians back, and you're like, wait, didn't Phyrexians have new Phyrexia? And the big thing with them was that they couldn't travel to different planes. Obviously, that is no longer a problem because they're here, and it looks like some of the planeswalkers might have had something to do with that. Hey. Maybe our good old villain, Tezzeret. He's back. He's back. And you did mention Tamio, which is uh, from this plane, and we'd never actually seen her on the plane, and now it's kind of terrible because, well... She is a Phyrexian um, vessel at this point in time. Uh, she's the completed sage. Yeah, she <laughs> has been um, completed, and which just means she has been turned to the Phyrexian side, uh, infected with the Phyrexian oil, and is now working for the bad guys. And I think, I mean, this is absolutely the first Planeswalker with Phyrexian mana in the uh, in the cost. Oh, yeah. Which is always interesting in terms of just having, how do you balance something with Phyrexian mana? Because you can pay two life as opposed to the color or the colorless of that in order to cast it. But they actually did something really cool with that because if you pay that mana, she comes in with two less loyalty counters. So she'll come out a little bit earlier at a little bit of a weaker state. And that's kind of good in terms of just tactical choices. Yeah, it seems like a good change to what was an overpowered mechanic, you know, in the the vortex of magic, which is you really can't pay life for mana costs because when are you not going to do that? Exactly. And it comes down to a lot of people are like, oh, but, you know, you want to have your life as high as possible. It's like, no, if you win at one life, a win's a win. Yeah. And so being able to pay a little bit of life to get something out quicker, it's the reason why, like, pros will use stuff like the lands that do teal damage to you when they come into play untapped or if they'll pay for Phyrexian mana because the quicker that you can win and get out there, I mean, you just win. Exactly. And some of the other bigger things on this, you mentioned like equipment. There's equipment and enchantments, but they've brought them in in an interesting way because now we've got equipment creatures and enchantment creatures. And we've had enchantment creatures in the past, but we literally have artifact creatures that can attach to other creatures but when they're not, they can also just be creatures on their own, like essentially like sentient swords. Yeah, spirits inside of weapons, essentially, which is a great theme with the uh, the set so far. They're all very good from what I can tell. That's what I've been looking at. Usually we hit up mythicspoiler.com to see a lot of the listings of uh, the things, and it's just like... Wow. Like, I, I, I don't know in the recent years if they've been doing this sort of kitchen sink sort of aspect with a lot of these things. But, I mean, anything I feel that's popular, they're going to bring back in some sort of aspect. Sagas have been very cool because they're enchantments that will do things every turn as they're going around and then eventually go away. And those seem to be really good in terms of telling stories. 
which this seems very story-focused, and then also being able to do some powerful things over the course of a couple of turns as opposed to immediately good or immediately doing something. And the fun twists on sagas in this set is that some of them turn into creatures. Right? Like, I didn't even realize that. Like, just they're like, okay, well, people, and I think that's the big thing, especially like in a limited environment. You need to have a good balance of having creatures and then things for creatures. So the fact that they can be creatures, it helps because you're keeping your creature count high, which you need to defeat your opponent without really, with actually adding the uh, the bonus of having a little bit of a utility to it. Yeah, the themes in this set are crazy deep. I mean, you have enchantments and artifacts, both creatures and non-creatures, and equipment, and they all matter for different color types and themes in those colors. So you're going to have artifacts matters. You're going to have artifacts in your graveyard that matter. You're going to have enchantments that matter. Enchantment creatures that matter. So, I mean... We're only 200-ish of the 300-something cards that are spoiled so far, and this set looks like it's going to be up there in terms of complexity, which, if you're a new player, don't worry. It's really not that bad, because a lot of the cards just read top to bottom. Very simple. And they're like, for instance, the equipment creatures are still just 1-1 creatures for 2, and that's all you need to know. Yeah. And then if you want to use them as equipment, you just read the next line. And that's it. It's They make it very simple, although there being a lot of text on the cards. Exactly. And they're even bringing back some of the old favorites back in the day with the shrines as creatures in addition to being shrines. And shrines basically work with other shrines. The more you have out, the more powerful the shrines all become. Um, some of the alternate land art is insanely beautiful. There are, once again, a million different art styles for this set. There's, like, the crazy foils, there's the alternate arts, there's the special arts, and then there's the, like, uh, neo-Japanese art or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, some of this stuff for collectors and just fans of the genres um, themselves, you're going to have just a hoot with all of this. And I say this, if you're new and you don't know what these cards do and you're worried about playing wrong or maybe you're not going to get your triggers, just download MTG Arena. It's do- cheap and you can ju- it'll tell you everything that's happening on the screen and will not let you miss triggers. Exactly. And that is a good way. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, obviously in the last couple of years haven't had a chance to go to their LGS. LGSs are opening back up again. So if you're kind of that sort of iffy on terms of wanting to go to them, A, if they do have pre-release events, I don't even know how those work anymore. Um, but if they do have those, those are a good way to do it in person because it's low level. Everyone's trying to help out each other. But even if you're not comfortable doing that... MTG Arena is an amazing way to get into it. It's a low um, barrier of entry in terms of um, uh, spending money. You can do as little or as much as you want. You can literally just play for free and get through with it. And let me tell you, right now, it's $10. It's their quick starter pack. You can do a go with the Thursday before those LGS pre-releases. Oh, get you, a little prep in. You can play one draft. You can play one sealed. Try it out. See how you like it. And if you like it, then you can go the next day to your LGS. And you can play <laughs> Perfect, a person. Right? Exactly. So plenty of ways to play the game. They've been able to really kind of branch out when it comes down to it. And uh, MTG Arena doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So that's a good way for you to get right into all of it. Now it is time for The Geek Sheet with Vicky B. All right, Vicky, what do you got for us? Big news that came out last week. Oh, okay. We are getting a Spider-Man spin-off movie. Not Venom, not... Uh, I don't Morbius, know. um... No, what are the other ones? No, a completely new one. Really? Not a Spider-Gwen, but it is a lady. Uh, okay. This is a character I had no idea about. Okay. It is Madam Web. 
Who the hell's Madam Web? I don't know, but I'm excited. Uh, so it's actually, I, I try not to judge people that were in these movies that were quote unquote bad, like a Twilight. Mm-hmm. This is Dakota Johnson, the Fifty Shades of Grey gal. Oh yeah, okay. Well, but I she's mean, she's done some other good stuff. And the movie, I mean, yeah, being in that movie isn't necessarily her fault. No, <laughs> I mean, she said <laughs> yes to it, but well, technically, <laughs> um, oh, fine, whatever. But that's why it's kind of like the whole like. Twilight, Robert Pattinson, Batman thing. It's like we're trying not to judge them on these things. So if you recognize the name Dakota Johnson, probably from Fifty Shades of Grey. She was also in Peter Butter Falcon, which I hear was a really good movie. But it has been announced that she is going to be in one of Sony's newer films. Madam Web. I don't know. Like she, when I looked at pictures of Madam Web, she kind of has this Agatha. Like if you remember Agatha from the comics but not the witchy, she kind of has that vibe to her. Like, seriously, like an old, old woman. Um, And here, okay, so I did find her powers and abilities. Just checking out Wiki. Uh, Madam Webb is a mutant who possesses psychic sensory powers, including telepathy, clairvoyance, prescience, and the ability to sense the presence of psionic powers in others. She can also perform psychic surgery and appears to others in the spirit-slash-astral form. And she has a gifted intellect. And, uh... Well, according... Yeah, so, apparently, there was news last month that I missed that uh, they were going to start production of Madam Web this year, but they hadn't announced any specifics, but they already had a location, but nothing really set up. So, this is, like, the big first news coming from this whole thing. So, they're probably going to start filming within the next few months. So, according to comicbook.com... As originally described by comic book's Kofi Outlaw when the movie was announced, the Cassandra Webb of the Marvel Comics source material is a mutant born in Salem, Oregon, which I'm hoping they do stuff in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, wow, yeah. Because, I mean, we've had a lot of New York. We've had, I think, uh, with, was it Cloak and Dagger, we had some New Orleans, which I was really digging. We had some Mm -hmm. California, I think, with uh, Runaways. So I would love to see more... West Coast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, it's funny because Peacemaker, which we talked about on Friday, uh, is set in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know if I caught that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look really closely, you can see sometimes Washington plates. What? Which is kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool on that one. Ten bucks says he's in Yelm. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then also, I mean, even like, I mean, Stumptown was based out of Portland in right. that area, but we haven't really gotten some major, like an MCU mm-hmm. type of show or even, you know, MCU adjacent at this point, because like with Sony films, I don't know what the hell they are at this point. Right. I mean, technically Venom was in California, but we need Pacific Northwest yeah. representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she did have a neuromuscular disease that left her paralyzed and blind. And uh, she ended up having the psychic powers, uh, like Rev was saying. So she's able to kind of like see beyond her capability of her physical body. Which, I mean, that's kind of a, a, a sort of thing that goes around with any of the superhero slash villain mm-hmm. slash whatever anti-hero type. Like, she looks super menacing. And it might just be yes. the fact that she's a spider or she's Madame Web and, you know, it's just right. a spider-ish. She's not an actual spider. Well, they said but... that like she gets her name because she has this weird like web-like life support machine that she's hooked up to. So it looks like oh. a giant spider web. Uh, they also say that she has other ties in the Spider-Man universe. She is the grandmother of Charlotte Witter, who becomes a villain version of Spider-Woman. And she's also tied to Julia Carpenter, a second version of Spider-Woman that served on the Avengers. And when Cass- Cassandra was mo- mortally wounded, she transferred all her physical... Um, 
excuse me, psychic abilities to Julia, making her the younger woman into the second Madam Web. Oh. So it's kind of like, what's going on here? We do know that S.J. Clarkson from Jessica Jones is on board to direct Madam Web from a screenplay from Matt Sazama and Burke Shapless, which also have credits with Morbius and Lost in Space. At one point, Sandra Bullock was rumored to be under consideration for that part, but obviously not. <laughs> oh, and this is going to be another Sony spinoff, too. Yep. So, like, like Morbius has been and, like, Venom. But like, because the multiverse is open and we, you know, spoiler alert, Venom is kind of... He's kind of now... Tipped in into the MCU. Not Tom Hardy's version, but if you uh, did see Spider-Man No Way Home, you got to see him at the very end. He was was in the MCU for a hot minute, got blinked back, but a little itty bit of the symbiote uh, ended still in Mm -hmm. our, or our, the MCU timeline. Right. So there's still the potential of having a Venom out there. We just don't know who it would be. If there is another Venom movie, because the whole point, again, if you haven't seen, Spider-Man No Way Home. Spoiler. Well, it's been a while. So. Right, I know. <laughs> I'm just trying to prevent right. the haters as much as I can. Fair enough. Uh, they say that anybody who knew Peter Parker ended up there. So he True. knows a Peter Parker. Yeah. And he was a reporter. It makes sense that he, like a reporter would maybe know about another reporter. So I'm wondering what version of Peter Parker could it... It obviously isn't Tobey Maguire's. Yeah. Because we already saw their own Venom and all that stuff going oh, on there. Oh, yeah, 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 So, yeah. I mean, it could be. Because it was Topher Grace in that one. In theory, it could be Andrew Garfield. but or it could be, a com- be something? Or it could be a completely different one. And I know that there has been a huge amount of, uh, uh, of like, push to have uh, Andrew Garfield reprise and make an Amazing Spider-Man 3 just because of, like, amazing they gave him a redeeming factor in No Way Home. Joe's given this the uh, the no signal on this one. Apparently, he's not down with that. Andrew Garfield. Here's the thing, though. With uh, Andrew Garfield's second Spider-Man movie, this was literally right before Sony was like, okay, you know what, Marvel? You can borrow. You can borrow yeah. Spider-Man. They literally only made these movies with Andrew Garfield to keep the rights to Spider-Man. So they're like, we need to make another Spider-Man movie, otherwise we lose it. And after that abomination they were just like we need to just keep shoveling them out <laughs> no, there no no abominations in a different show calm down <laughs> uh that's when they decided oh, okay i guess we'll let disney you know they have the midas touch we'll let them you know have spider you know you can borrow spider-man you can make your tom holland spider-man with uh captain america civil war i guess <laughs> and then and then boom, it was the best thing ever bajillions of dollars yeah yeah <laughs> and i mean just seeing how this will work uh madam webb with uh, morbius and like all of these different characters that like are absolutely like like tied in with spider-man yet they're doing all these things without it it's it's interesting because they're just they're like, well, we understand that we're kind of not great with Spider-Man, but we should probably bring in Spider-Man at some point, I feel. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Um, well, we were talking about the villains and characters and stuff, and it kind of reminded me of this article I saw uh, from comicbookresources.com. It says five MCU villain actors who nailed the roles and five who fell short. Uh, well, nailing the roles. Oh, you said MCU? Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going to say Willem Dafoe. Does he count as MCU now? Technically. Because, I mean, because of Spider-Man No Way Home. I would but... count him, but I will say he is not on this list. Yeah, I kind of figured he wouldn't be on this list. All right, so um, give us, give us. okay, wait, well, so MCU and its villains. Yes. Do they have Thanos in it? 
They do. Thank you. But is he good or is he bad? He better be good. <laughs> yes, nailed okay. the role. Josh Brolin's Thanos is amazing. Oh, you were going to break my heart with that I one. Know. Well, because what they did is like they show you a bad one and then a good one, a bad one and the good one. So okay. it's listed. Uh, well, for the number 10, and I think he's one of my now personal favorites, somebody that I hated at first okay. and now I just adore. Okay. And that is Zemo. It's Daniel Brawl's Zemo. And they, they give him good, right? Yes. Okay, good. He nailed because, this yeah, role. I, I thought I thought he was very good at it. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was one of those ones where he he didn't really get a chance to shine in the movies, but right. the fact that he got Falcon and the Winter Soldier and he just he made him a great character. And it, I didn't hate his acting in when I first true. saw him. It yeah. was I hated the character. Yes. Because he was a piece of crap. But he and what they said, he is charming, he's magnetic, yeah, and he's a villain, but you love him yes. in a weird way. You're out of line, but you're right. Do you agree, Joe? Or you're like, eh, should he be higher? Should he be lower? Should he not be on this list? Uh, no, I, th- I thought he was very good. I think, actually, he's one of the few characters I liked in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. No, no, Falcon no, and the Winter Soldier, sir, but yeah, 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 it's Captain yeah. America. Yeah, technically. <laughs> I never know what the real, I don't know, Captain right? Falcon Captain Falcon, Falcon and the Winter, uh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fell short is one that we, this movie could have been better in general, but it wasn't bad. It's from Ant-Man, Yellow Jacket. Just like, eh. It was eh. It, it was just another version of Ant-Man. It was another yeah. insect baddie that fell into that trap of being mm-hmm. the opposite of what they wanted. I do like the fact that in like the What If series, Hank Pym, when he yes. went nuts, he was wearing the Yellow Jacket armor, which apparently in comics, usually when he went bad and was kind of going a little crazy, he would don the, that costume that and run sense. with that. So I felt that was kind of cool in comics, and it was a good nod to that. But again, the guy was like throwaway. I don't even know who uh, the character was that ended up donning the yellow jacket armor because, frankly, I just didn't care. And I mean, I wasn't even really that invested in Ant-Man anyway. Uh, I did like it for the comedic elements. I liked um, uh, Luis Pena and then Michael Pena, sorry. Mm -hmm. And then also who played Luis and then also obviously Paul Rudd because he's uh, amazing. He's he was a great addition definitely to the Avengers. Another one that nailed the role, Tom Hiddleston's Loki. Oh, yeah. There's a few people that says this character has grown a lot. Some people think he's overstayed his welcome, but I don't think so. Yeah, no, I think I'm fine with him. He's definitely had a really good character arc. Mm hmm. Fell short, definitely Guy Pierce's Aldrich Killian in the last least memorable part of Iron Man 3. I yeah. forget he's a thing. Yeah, he was a thing and great. I mean, he got he got all angry and like all extremist at the end, so that was kind of neat. Such yeah. a boring storyline. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't I mean it really wasn't the greatest storyline. I've cured myself of all my problems, but now I still hate you. Okay. okay. <laughs> Have you considered therapy? No. You consider no. using your billions of dollars to do anything else besides get revenge? You know, Leonardo no. DiCaprio didn't win an Oscar for a very long time, but he still had a lot of supermodels. You could have just gone that route. You didn't get exactly what you wanted, well, but you, you had supermodels. Get what you want. Right. Um, we did say <laughs> we did say Thanos already. Mm-hmm. This one I don't know if I agree with. Okay. They say that Lee Pace's Ronan the Accuser fell short. It did because it really wasn't like the fact that when you see uh, Thanos and Guardians Mm -hmm. and you just see him kind of like take down Ronan, be like, you're a bitch. And he's like, meh. That's what I loved about it because he looked so badass and menacing and it made me feel like I was really in that world. Because anytime you see an alien, you think they're all powerful. Yeah. And I'm like, no, they can be dumbasses like we can. Yeah, so he, that's what made me feel better. He just better. turned into this, like this weird Michael Scott like middle manager type, oh, I, and it's just like that's the fact I that you it. lose to a dance off. Like I'm like I'm 
I'm out. I'm out. That's, I'm out. that's like, why Ronin, I loved sorry, it. you lose. You just lose. I'm not saying that uh, Ronin as a, like as like a conqueror, what is it, the uh, the accuser and being like a badass, he wasn't because he was a dumbass. But I think Lee Pace did a really good job yeah. and I feel like it yeah. worked for the movie. <laughs> it didn't bring the movie down to me. Yeah. Uh, number four, nailed it as the role, Michael Keaton's Vulture. Yeah. Which just is, kind of an old dude, an old construction dude that kind of just comes across this stuff, and he gets screwed. Like, you feel for him. He's very relatable, just like uh, somebody else on this list. Oh, yeah. Uh, the thing, that's this is the reason why I thought about it, because, like, the vulture being in, like, Morbius. Yeah, like, how how is everything, like, connecting? Yeah. Uh, this one fell short because the whole movie fell short. Was oh, Christopher Eccleston's performance as uh, Malekith, or I forget his name. Oh, yeah, Malekith, the, uh, the dark elf. Yeah. And I mean, like, that was eh. just because it was Thor 2. Like, The Dark World was just not a great movie. And it is literally, like, at, if not the bottom, near the bottom for um, mm-hmm. all of the all of the uh, Marvel movies for me. And so it's just forgettable. I forget that he was in it. Mm-hmm. I still haven't watched the whole movie. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not missing anything. I just, I just can't. I just, it's just no nothing. Point. <laughs> there is no point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one who definitely nailed the role kind of hinted to it, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger, and I'm very yeah. upset that he won't be in anymore. I mean, I guess he'll be in, like, What Ifs if they continue. Yeah, maybe they can figure something out with that. Right. I mean, we got multiple, uh... Yeah, right? He can be Black Panther. Just come back. Come on, man. Just come, back. come on, come on, come on. Uh, and the number one, though, that they said that fell short was James Spader's... Ultron. Ultron. Yeah, and it's just because they did Ultron weird. Uh, seriously, like at this point, Joss Whedon kind of ruined that movie. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a good movie at any aspect, and you know, it was just. I heard that there was it's kind not of, his fault, really. I heard there's like a temper tantrum because I think he had already done stuff with the Justice League, and that didn't get received well, or something like that. And so yeah. this whole movie just kind of fell short because he was being a baby. <laughs> yeah, well, now we found out that Joss Whedon's kind of a piece of crap, so you know hey. what? We don't have to go back and watch that uh, Avengers movie. We're, I'm fine with not. I actually have a fun little quip about him, but I'll tell you maybe on the next one. Alright, then. <laughs> Until next time, guys, stay nerdy. <laughs>